Welcome to the MI Hunting Podcast. In this episode, we're talking winter scouting and habitat improvements that you can complete right now to get you ready for the upcoming season. Alright, welcome to the MI Hunting Podcast. Thank you for listening as always. So, yeah, this episode, you know, basically we're just going to cover, you know, some things that I've been getting done uh, the past few weeks, you know, with the way that the weather has been lately, you know, I at this point, I always be hoping to uh, be out on the ice, getting a lot of ice fishing in at this point, but we've had warm temps and mixed precipitation and, and rain that's been kind of making it kind of crappy ice to be out ice fishing. Uh, especially in regards to being able to take the kids out with having a nice, you know, a good base of ice that I know that they'll be safe being out on. You know, I, they've wanted to get out and do some ice skating while we're out there too. So that's been holding out until we get some better ice and then be able to hit the hard water and, uh, you know, basically start catching some fish. So, you know, in the meantime of not being able to go out ice fishing, I basically took advantage of, you know, not having to build up a snow and the warmer temperatures to get out and do some additional scouting as well as, you know, get some habitat improvement work done. You know, basically wanting to get a jump start for the 2023 season. Before we get into that uh, topic, you know, I do want to cover a couple of different things. Uh, you know, one, I want to get back and go to uh, kind of covering some conservation type or up-to-date news facts that type of thing so with that being said let's go ahead and jump into uh, basically what I dubbed the uh, conservation news desk here so this one here is not a fun topic to cover you know it's kind of stretching a little bit on how much of this is considered conservation um, but it does affect us as hunters and outdoorsmen um, and outdoor enthusiasts so you know this is a this is a bill that was introduced by Jeffrey Peppers uh, out of Dearborn. It was introduced on December 1st of 2022, so it's actually several weeks old. But again, this is something that's new, um, you know, catching or getting on my radar here. And I did want to cover it a little bit because it's going to affect us uh, tremendously, uh, especially if you're an individual that, you know, has purchased or uses, um, you know, any type of AR platform in regards to uh, shooting sports, you know, hunting, you know, I know, especially for the small game and predator hunting, you know, AR platforms are very popular. Um, so that's going to affect us all really. And of course they're always targeting these quote unquote assault rifles. So I did want to cover what the bill actually says and what they're planning or what they're hoping to accomplish with it. So let's get into this. So this house bill number six, five, four, four, so this is one of two bills that uh, Representative Pepper uh, did introduce into the legislation. So a bill to ban manufacture, possession, purchase, and sale of assault rifles or assault assault weapons uh, to provide certain powers and duties for certain state and local officials and agencies to provide for the prolongation of rules and provide penalties. So basically, they're covering what the rules are. That they're covering and who's going to have the power to enforce it. So section one, the, the use of a, this ad, assault weapon means automatic or semi-automatic rifle with the ability 
to accept a detachable magazine and has one or more of the following characteristics. So again, this is going to cover not just AR platforms. If you have any type of firearm that has a detachable magazine or, you know, a removable clip, you know, that's going to cover, that's going to fall underneath potentially this assault rifle ban as well. But it does have to have some of these characteristics. Now, some of them are pretty straightforward um, that you would expect for an AR platform. Some other ones, you know, would fall under what w many would consider a hunting rifle as well. So one of the other characteristics that the rifle must have for to fall under the assault weapon classification has to have a pistol grip or a thumb hole stock. Now again, pistol grip, pretty standard for most AR platforms. The thumb hole stock, you will, you will see that on some styles of hunting rifles. A folding or telescoping stock. Oh, actually, let me back up a little bit. I did forget this the second point here. Any feature capable of functioning as a protruding grip that can be held by the non-trigger hand. So this is any type of forward you know, grip. I would say a partially poorly written uh, law, either by intent or intentional or uh, unintentionally. So they're talking about any feature capable of functioning as a protruding grip. So even if you put a bi bipod on the front of your rifle, because you could potentially you know, use it as a handle, that could fall under that category as well. So if you have a bipod on your hunting rifle, that would then classify under the assault weapon categorization, potentially. Folding or telescoping stock, a shroud or attached, that partially or completely encircles the barrel that permits the shooter to hold a firearm with a non-trigger hand without being burned. So this one, again, falls under a very uh, broad description. So a shroud that is attached to or, or partially or completely encircles the barrel. So this is pretty much any type of forehand grip. So even on a wood stock hunting rifle, you know, it has that shroud that goes partially around the barrel uh, that you can hang on to. So again, I don't know if this wording was intentional or not. Uh, you know, basically the fact that they're not really high in the fact that they're trying to take guns away from people, that they're intentionally leaving this open. All right, so this is section two. This is going to talk about, um, you know, basically who falls under this category. So except as otherwise provided in this section beginning January 1st of 2024, a person shall not manufacture, possess, purchase, or sell an assault rifle in the state. So basically any additional manufacturing or purchases of any rifle that falls under that previous category is now outlawed after January 1st, 2024, if this passes again. Now they do say a person that, that had purchased a rifle prior to that beginning date could continue to possess the rifle. However, they're going to have to register it. So a person may continue to possess the assault weapon that the person legally possessed before the effective date. If both of the following apply person registers the assault weapon with the department of state police in compliance with the rules adopted for the purposes of the department of state police person renews the registration of the assault weapon 
every five years. So not only do you have to register that you've had it, you also have to keep up with that registry. Now they go over next the the penalties. A person who violates is guilty of felony punishment by imprisonment for no for not more than five years, and and the state police is given authority to enforce. So even if you had a local sheriff's office or your local law enforcement decide that they are not going to enforce this law, the state police could intervene and enforce it. So again, some interesting wording with some of the characteristics that would consider an assault weapon. You know, it falls onto many different types of semi-automatic rifles that, you know, their primary uses are for hunting purposes. So again, I don't know if some of this wording was intentional to try to ban more guns than outside of the typical AR platform, you know, characteristics or not, but the, that's the wording that's in it. So we'll have to see what happens with this bill going forward. Now, Pepper also did a second bill. So this is House Bill 6546. This one, but is a basically a ban on being able to open carry for the state of Michigan. So basically they're going over again, legal terminology except for otherwise provided in subsection two, an individual shall not open carry a rifle or shotgun in this state. So interestingly, they didn't mention anything about not being able to open, open carry a uh, pistol. It's again, just targeting rifles or shotguns. Now they do make some concessions as to individuals that can open carry either a rifle or a shot or a shotgun. So subsection one does not apply to the following An individual engaged in target practice at a recognized target range. So again, if you're doing target practice, you have to be a designated or what would they would consider a recognized target range. Now, again, what constitutes as a recognized target range that's up for interpretation and for, you know, that was something that would need to be uh, more defined for it to be, again, a good law. A peace officer carrying a firearm during duty and performance of peace officer duties, an individual who's on a property owned by that individual. Again, the wording on this is very interesting. So it's an individual on essentially their own property. So if you are on a friend's you know, property and you're open carrying, this law does not protect you um, under the current wording. Again, I don't know if it's intentional if they're doing it this way or if it was unintentional. Again, overall, just a badly written law um, if it's, you know, if they did this unintentionally, essentially. All right, so... An individual in the United States Armed Forces while carrying in the line of duty. So you better be in uniform if you're going to be carrying it. An individual who is hunting. An individual who is carrying a firearm on the premise of either the following. A gun show, federally licensed firearm dealer, an individual. Um, and then they get into section 3. An individual who violates this section is guilty of the following. So apparently you get a, uh, like kind of like a 1-2 strike here. So first offense, misdemeanor, and a fine. Second offense, uh, felons, uh, turns into a felony and punishable for imprisonment no more than five years. 
And then they go under use of federally licensed firearm dealer means a term defined in section 15, gun show, building, structure, and facility where dealers and firearms are sell a trade. And then they go over, you know, the definition from previous, you know, laws on the books of what a rifle is and what a shotgun is. So this bill here is again, another poorly written bill that, that is left open with a lot of interpretation. Now, whether that is either something that they intentionally do to be able to broaden its scope or broaden its reach, which, you know, if that's the case, then they're definitely showing their hand as to what they're trying to do. They're not concerned about trying to protect people. They're just trying to take guns away from individuals. So, you know, again, this comes up time and time again as to, you know, is there a, a gun violence issue in, in the country? You know, certainly, you know, there's no secret about the, uh, you know, kind of the general knowledge of the total number of uh, gun-related deaths are in this country. So I'm going to pull up a brief thing here from the CDC. Uh, we'll get into some additional information about the CDC here shortly. But also, essentially, you know, even according to the CDC, you know, we average somewhere between 45 and 48, maybe even you could say even up to 50,000 gun-related deaths in the U.S. Now, these are all lump sum together. So these are, uh, you know, gun-related murders, homicides, uh, suicides, and, you know, unintentional gun deaths. Or I guess you could say self-inflicted or unintentional. Which, you know, certainly is quite a, quite a lot. Now, again, if you're looking at the number of suicides, that's somewhere around somewhere around 13 to 14,000 um, deaths per year, so which you know is not necessarily a gun issue. That's more of a mental health issue. But the one thing that they are definitely trying to hide these days is the defensive use of firearms. Now, uh, for a number of years, the CDC had. Uh, you know, basically numbers on the number of defensive firearm uses uh, within the country. But it looks like as of 2021, due to pressure from, uh, well, I guess we'll just pull it up. So we found this article from Fox News, CDC removes stats on defensive gun use over pressure from gun control activists. And the biggest thing is the reason why they wanted to hide that is the stats from the CDC, uh, they did a study finding that instances of defensive gun use occurred somewhere between 60,000 and 2.5 million times per year. Now, if you look at the number of defensive gun uses in comparison to the number, actual number of gun deaths, it's not even comparable. So the potentially the number of lives are saved from use of firearms far outweighs the number of actual gun deaths recorded in the country. But those who are trying to ban guns or take guns away from individuals, they don't want that knowledge out for the public. So that's why I'm assuming why they eliminated, you know, that published, you know, data from even the CDC. So certainly I'm going to keep an eye on what is going on with this bill. 
you know, for me, I certainly do not want to see this gun ban make any further progress. So hopefully this ban or this bill gets killed quite quickly. You know, certainly I was on more of the side of hoping that the state of Michigan would go to a constitutional carry and actually, you know, loosen up some of their gun laws because I'm a firm believer that taking more guns away is not making anyone any safer. All right. So the next item I want to talk about is on a far uh, happier note and far more fun thing to talk about. So the Friends with Trekking Outdoors is hosting a banquet on March 11th. So this is uh, one of the first banquets they're planning on doing. You know, when I talked to Chris, he had mentioned that he's planning on doing some big events uh, for the 2023 season. And this is the first of those events that he had mentioned. So the event, again, is March 11th, starting at 4.30 p.m. at the Hidden Creek Farms in Charlotte, Michigan. So if you're interested in going, they have tickets available on their website, which will be linked down in the description. And that's at trekkingoutdoors.com. And click on their 2023 hunting banquet tab. There's going to be lots of different uh, prizes given away. So MI Hunting is actually going to be there and we are actually donating some items for the giveaways. So I'm excited about that. I hope to partner up with some other companies as well to provide some additional items. So I'm certainly happy to be part of this and to be able to provide uh, you know, some of those prizes for individuals. So I do hope to see you there. Uh, so mark it on your calendar. Again, it's going to be a great time. Um, you know, any type of outdoor event is always fantastic to you know, be part of that community. All right, so let's get into the topic at hand. So, like I said before, you know, the weather's been kind of crazy. Haven't been able to get out and go ice fishing like I had planned on it. So, you know, basically trying to take, make the best of, you know, the weather we had. Got out there, did some additional scouting. Uh, as well as, you know, busted out the chainsaw to do some habitat work, you know, as I did last year, you know, during the winter months, I really enjoy I really like to take advantage of that part of getting out there, cutting some timber, basically adding some habitat building, getting some structure on the ground and basically building cover and hopefully providing food, um, in regards to regeneration for the deer during the, you know, late fall and winter months with more woody browse available. So two big things I really accomplished. One was getting some additional scouting done. Now on the property, you know, I have my main foods, food plot um, towards the back end of the property. And I noticed that most of the deer came from essentially the west side of the property where there was additional cover. Now, I always kind of knew generally roughly the the trails or the areas that the deer were coming from, but I hadn't actually taken the time to completely map out exactly what trails were being used. The direction of travel, you know, kind of had an idea of that as well. I went in there when there was very little snow and was able to basically map out and trace the vast majority of the trails. Now, again, had a pretty good idea that most of the trails were traveling from east to west. But also, once I got into the more thicker cover, was able to determine that again a lot, the map out a lot of the general movement. 
So I mapped out each of the lines, basically tracing each trail the best I could follow. Now the, the layout of the property is I have my main food source on the east side of the, of the property. I've screened it in with some switchgrass on the west side of the food plot. There's also some immature apple trees that we've planted uh, over the past couple of years that hopefully within the next few years we'll start developing uh, apples and provide an additional soft mass food source along the edge of the food plot. Behind the switchgrass is an inner uh, mix of different grasses and immature pine trees, some additional covers in there. You can definitely see that the main areas where the deer are traveling through, there's an additional browse line where some of those branches on those pines are you know, higher up where you can actually walk through um, in between those trees where the deer have browsed down those lower branches. Then it opens up to a small area where there's some immature aspens, so some regen um, of some sapling trees. There's red orchard dogwood mixed with some other shrubs and bushes in there as well. So it's kind of a mix of kind of almost looks like an old clear cut type deal where you got some you know early successional growth, some regen growing in there, and then you get to the west side of the, the west side of the property and it's a mix of popples and primarily cedars and white pine so following the vast majority of those trails and knowing the general movement i want to cut in some of those pockets especially of the aspens you know basically they're you know mature big canopy these trees, again, don't have much timber value and they are great for regeneration if you cut them completely down to the complete, cut them completely off. So basically it's, you know, one of my favorite ones to target when trying to build a bedding area or promote, you know, regeneration. You know, those popples, because of the big canopies down to these mature trees, by cutting them down, you're getting a lot of sunlight down to the ground. By dropping the full tree, you're building basically ground cover. You know, you get a lot of those tops. The deer will eat on during the course of the winter. Again, additional food on the ground for them. And then comes the spring, that additional sunlight is going to allow some of the other forbs and smaller uh, trees in that area to grow up, thicken up. I did provide additional cover as well as additional food during the spring and summer months. And then that woody browse as it continues to grow up, it'll be very beneficial this fall and the winter time. And then of course with the popples, having cut them completely off, they're gonna regen from the root systems. So there's gonna be a lot of uh, saplings that are coming up that will come up uh, over the next few years, providing some really thick, dense cover to hopefully promote some additional bedding in those bedding areas. You know, one thing I've talked about on the farm is that we don't have a ton of cover. Uh, we don't have a lot of acreage of of timber really on the property itself. So a lot of the deer are actually bedding on adjacent properties and having to travel onto the farm. Um, so a lot of times we're getting deer that, you know, make it onto the property, you know, right at, right at dark or shortly after, or even in the middle of the night, the idea of trying to create these additional pockets to try to draw in more deer closer to the food source and keep them on the property longer. Now, again, cutting in these, these, uh, bedding areas or bedding thickets, you could call them. You know, it's not a guarantee that 
that you're going to get a big buck to get bed on them or bed within them but it's just drawing that additional bedding in so you know i'm a firm believer that a lot of deer will do basically layering of the bedding so does will always bed closest to the food and the bucks will generally have to bed further out so by adding additional bedding so even if the does aren't moving in close to the food food source if they bed within those pockets that i've created then that allows the bucks to move in just a little bit closer if the does were having the bed further away before adding these bedding pockets and really i mean you don't have to do a ton you know the two areas that i focus on the ones a little over a half acre the ones only about a quarter acre just some little pockets that provide some additional um, you know basically a little hub some additional edge even within the cover for deer to be, feel free to you know bed in the area feel secure and to move around the edges of them so some of the areas that i focus on you know basically looking at the primary trails that went cut through the woods there i tried you know fell in most of the trees you know parallel with the trails or try not to you know drop any tra trees over over top of the trails making it harder for the deer to move around in there you know it's one thing where you know some of the areas i was able to pile some of the trees on top of each other make a bit of a brush pile but allow most of the area to be able to where i could even walk through freely through the area you know, didn't want to make it such a nasty mess that you know deer have a hard time you know traveling through it you know they may still be able to bed around the edges of it but if they can't move through it there's a good likelihood that deer aren't going to utilize it in a manner that you'd like them to so again primary thing i focused on was with these aspen again cutting them all the way down to the ground you know they're not going to be really good for hinge cutting um you generally you know in my experience i never really had any that were able to survive even you know the few smaller uh, trees i've tried to cut in the past they just don't survive so you're looking at other types of trees that may be you know more beneficial for doing a hinge cut you know i have done some of the smaller maples uh, some cherry works pretty good you do have to be careful because of i guess it's the grain of the of the wood you know it does a split a little bit more than some of the other types of wood uh, so do be careful when you know when it's starting to lean over it may completely split and you know not be able to keep that connection between the base and the top and then also there are some areas where there's some elm as well as some uh, young ash trees as well so those work pretty good it, at least in, in my experience that they work pretty good for hinge cut as well Another good thing about some of those other ones, even if you don't get a hinge cut, if you cut those trees off completely, you know, they're going to be very quickly regenerating out of the stump as well. You know, even after the first year uh, of another area that I cut also on the farm, you know, basically started already having regen that spring of, you know, basically shoots coming out of, you know, the stump that was still in the ground, providing additional food, and especially over the next few years, it'll thicken up, it'll bush out more. And, and provide additional cover and then also been doing a more of a breakdown of kind of how the how the deer utilize the property over the last season now one of the big things that i noticed right away uh, from this from the 2022 season is that without having a good you know primary food source um, either on the property or around the property like a big egg field or something like that the deer just absolutely hammered the food plot 
you know, I actually downsized a little bit this past year, uh, basically having one primary food food pot again towards the back of the property. And unfortunately, the deer have eaten it down almost to the dirt even before end of October even. So with that, the goal is to expand the food plots quite a bit. So again, this is the front field or the top field we call it. The idea is to basically do a food plot about the same size as the one down in the bottom field or towards the back of the property, as well as provides a perennial food plot as well up in that top field, and then also try to incorporate some grain as well. So I have it kind of blocked out to about three acres for my primarily green food source. I have about two acres that I plan to do primarily in clover, so a really easy perennial. And then also add in, again, depending on what the pricing looks like, try to add in a few acres of soybean mixed in with probably some other type of plants that can provide some additional uh, benefit to the soil. Also going to incorporate uh, up, our, up on this top field, there's a big patch of mature maples in it that I hunted the edge of last year. Now with this additional food source, I am gonna have to provide or put in a screening between the food plot and those mature hardwoods. You know, basically the goal is I don't want deer that are in the timber to be able to look out across the field, as well as I don't want deer to be in the field and be able to look into the hardwood. So, you know, again, if I'm coming into the spot during the morning, I wanna be able to sneak in through the hardwoods and not disturb the deer that are in the food plot during the rut time frame or even the pre-rut, you know, I don't want a deer to be able to stand in the mature timber, look out across the field and see that you know, oh, there's no does out in the field and just continue on looking elsewhere. You know, again, if he's in a situation where the wind's not blowing directly at him from the food source, he's going to have to actually, you know, go over there and visually inspect the field. Just another, you know, aspect, breaking up adding some additional cover, additional edge. You know, always seems that whenever I'm scouting or there's an area where you have a lot of different diversity of either different plant species or terrain differences or different types of, you know, cover. If you're going from a hardwood to a pine or a cedar swamp to open field, again, just the more of those different components you have all kind of meshed together, it always seems to be a hotspot or a hub for deer movement. You know, they just love having that diversity of of all those different components so if you're able to combine them in a small area um, and kind of work and you know work them together to where they you know you can kind of manipulate or you know promote additional movement to where you can capitalize honey wise kind of hope that all makes sense uh <laughs> going through that but yeah i mean that's it for you know in regards to the the majority of the work I've been doing now, I've gone out and scouted with uh, a cousin of mine. Uh, basically, kind of the same thing. We wanted to take advantage of the the weather and be able to do some additional scouting on his um, private piece that he hunts as well. We actually, you know, basically we pulled into the spot where we were going to, you know, get out of the vehicle, bump some deer out that were out feeding um, in a bit of a bit of a <laughs> feeding in a bit of a green food stores. Um, kind of on this little plateau in the parking area. We get out, and just as we walk into the timber, we find a fresh shed. Um, so he was pretty excited about that. It's the very first shed that he's found on his property. We scout it out. Basically, again, same thing we're looking at. 
you know, we're scouting a, a small pond that is partially on his property where there's a big difference of, you know, terrain, basically, you know, kind of two high points that run down to this pond, creating a bit of a saddle. And then there's a mix of different types of timber around the area, you know, with the, that diversity of the terrain and different types of cover, we found several different trails, rubs, scrapes, and even a few bedding areas near that pond area. So we've already kind of come up with a game plan, a potential uh, spot for a tree stand for uh, hopefully either early bow season or even during the pre-rut, you know, it becomes kind of a, a, a travel corridor, uh, you know, around that pond area. So definitely a good start to the 2023 season getting out there, getting boots on the ground, doing some additional scouting. And again, one thing I love using uh, a mapping system like the hunt stand that I use and be able, be able to map everything out. And then you can even look back at it after and kind of zoom out, take a look at the big picture, uh, you know, kind of just get a lay of the land, just looking at the map, uh, you know, even after times of dealing with, you know, looking at the maps of the farm, you know, just adding that additional, you know, intel, you're able to kind of sit back and stew on the information and, you know, things become apparent to you that you might have missed in years past. So certainly take advantage of some type of mapping system. Again, my favorite is hunt stand, but certainly use whatever one that you're most comfortable with. And then with that, now we finally are starting to get some cold weather. It's more consistent temperatures that would be more doing to getting some more you know, ice on the lakes. So over the next couple of weeks, going to be hitting the ice. They're hitting the lakes a little bit more, getting the kids out ice fishing, uh, and hopefully having some fish fries here in the next few weeks. So I hope to be able to have a few episodes talking about that and some of the strategies and, you know, basically just kind of talking ice fishing, um, during the winter months here. So, so that's it for now. Again, this is a great time to take advantage of doing some additional scouting. So if you you're like me and a whitetail freak, then get out there, do some additional scouting, look at some additional mapping. You know, if you if you're looking for additional places to hunt, now's a good time to start looking over maps, finding some areas of potential that you want to check out later in the year. If you do habitat work, this is a great time to get a jump start on it as well. Start thinking about what your food plot program is going to do if you or look like if you do food plots at all. And again, get out there and enjoy some of this winter activities. Uh, again, we're actually going to be getting some winter-like uh, conditions here shortly. You'll be able to take advantage of that. And I mean, in the next you know few months, it's going to be you know into the springtime and turkey hunting and spring fishing is going to open up. So you know things are going to start ramping up pretty quickly here. But that's really it for this episode. So hopefully I was able to give you some ideas about, you know, things moving forward uh, that you can take advantage of. Hopefully you get out there and enjoy some winter activities. And with that, as always, get out there, be safe, and have fun.